When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brett Rapson analyzes the uh, Timberwolves for the Athletic uh, Draft Day tomorrow. The uh, Timberwolves down the list at number 20. Uh, did you uh, have a chance to go over and hear nothing of substance today from <laughs> Coach Thibodeau and uh, General Manager Layden? I did. I, at the end of the press conference, I looked at my colleague, John Krasinski, and I called Tibbs the suffocator because regardless <laughs> of whatever question you asked, it's like he has a pillow and he puts it down over the question and just suffocates it. He, uh, last year, I loved the, uh, he was very fixated last year on the, on the one that to kick off the season, uh, one about uh, getting the front foot forward on the closeout was, uh, which of course, uh, it, it, it turned out to be rather important. The way they gave up threes, but uh, the Jamal Crawford thing is making news, but I don't think it's a real damage to this uh, franchise the way Jamal played last year. Right. Well, I mean, Jamal's a big name, and uh, just a, he's obviously much better in the locker room than he is on the court, just mm-hmm. in terms of what he can contribute now. He's, uh, he did win the Wolves uh, three or four games in terms of yes. the timing of his shots. He was a guy who could take big shots in the fourth quarter, but... Uh, he he stealthily lost them probably more with terrible defense the first three quarters of many other games. Don't they have? I saw some ungodly stat that uh, what where their defensive ranking was with him on the court and then off oh, the yeah. court it was it was uh, it was terrible. But he played forty five percent of his team's minutes are right around there, and his individual defensive rating was worse than any team's rating by by a fair margin. Uh, and the fact that uh, he was their sixth man, he did uh, rank sixth on the team in minutes. Uh, you know, that's a lot to overcome if your guy is that bad on defense. Uh, Jerry Zagoda suggested this, I saw in a uh, posting today, and uh, that uh, perhaps they will, be, perhaps they want to get rid of Georgie bad enough to give up the 20th uh, draft choice uh, in a deal like that. Can you see that happening? I can. I think it's going to be tough just because. Um, that has become a terrible contract. That's become usually if a team, uh, they'll either take a, a, a good player or a player you know that's in the mode with bad mm-hmm. money or uh, a guy who's not very good but doesn't have a lot of bad money left. And with Gorgie, uh, the way the modern NBA is played, uh, he is less and less valuable, and he is uh, pretty much at the beginning of his deal. He's had one year of it. 
And so they're looking at a guy who is outmoded at uh, getting between uh, 15 and 17 million for the next three years. So that's a hard one to swallow, even if you pair it with a pick. So what is his only function? Backup center now, or uh, well, I mean, he I mean, likes I to go out and shoot. A lot of it depends on uh, you know the thing about Gorgie was his previous. The reason he earned that contract or, or got that contract was because he he learned how to play. He was a very smart player in terms of what he could do. It's just that. Uh, Big men just don't play well in space now. Uh, Those guys have trouble, and the the Wolves have Carl Anthony Towns and Taj Gibson, and uh, Tibbs decided he needed to sign Taj Gibson to change the locker room, and with... Um, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, they, I think, did a very good job. But the, the consequence of that is there is a ton of money tied up in the power forward slash center position, and there's no wing depth. And so, uh, and you've also got a guy, as I say, he, he did play pretty well alongside Towns back uh, when they, uh, the threes and space and pace weren't quite as important. Um, he did kind of fall apart uh, in terms of his confidence level and in terms of his just his capability coming off the bench because uh, after not playing very much his first year for Rick Adelman, he had played a lot and started every game the previous year. So I think all of that combined to uh, really kind of sabotage him and uh, – now he's just he's a guy who, as I say, is outmoded on you know in the middle of a big long-term contract, and those are really hard to move because money is tight everywhere. Fifteen of the teams uh, don't have any cap space. Hey, uh, uh, Brett uh, Thibodeau uh, came to uh, like the uh, three guards, Jimmy Butler at the four operation. Uh, that uh, you know, pretty much down the stretch after Derrick Rose came in here, is it, that seems to sort of be his con. con- Session that yes, the NBA has changed. <laughs> right. I mean, the problem with that, of course, is that um, it fosters this whole uh, mentality. You, you, whether you want to call it timber bulls versus timber pups or whatever, yeah. there's a there's a sense that um, yeah, if you know Tom Thibodeau can get guys who ran through a wall for him, you know, four or five years ago, uh, you know, they play pretty well for him. But uh, what does that mean, you know, three or four years down the line when you've got your two guys who you're paying max money to who are just beginning to come into their prime? How do they fit into this picture? And how is this picture being structured for the greater good of the team when they need to be peaking down the road? So... I mean, the, the the thought is he will almost certainly sign Rose. He loves Rose. Um, but they only have about $8.5 million yeah. on this mid-level exception. And uh, if they're going to get somebody uh, pretty good on the wing, it's going to be very, very hard to uh, sign Rose to anything but the veterans' minimum. And the question will be whether Rose will take that out of deference to Tibbs, whether Tibbs will convince himself that he's not insulting Rose if he does that. Uh Reno Rose has been injury prone. Yep. Uh, and sometimes he has been a ball hog. Now, I remember when he first came here, I wrote a column just ripping the move up one side and down the other. And Derek Rose uh, had a very good uh, couple of months for the Timberwolves in his own way. I mean, he moved without the ball. He uh, constrained himself. He was much more of a team player. And he seemed to, uh, it seemed to be a good match. Um, is he worth. Uh, you know, scuttling any chances to get a pretty good uh, other wing player outside the draft in free agency. 
probably with his injury history, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a great idea. But if they can get him for the veterans minimum and they can also add a wing, you know, with the mid-level exception and they can get somebody good in the draft, uh, then, yeah, I mean, Derrick Rose could help. Yeah, it's uh, it is a it, people. Uh, it, it was funny. It was almost like it was the uh, uh, the social media world versus the people in the stands at Target Center. The social media world never did get on the bandwagon with Rose. I don't think, uh, and certainly would not like to see him come back. But the fans were giving him these roaring ovations down right. the stretch. It was kind of weird. Well, and, you know, he is a charismatic player on the court. You know, I mean, a lot of the social media, I think, had to do with, you know, uh, the rape allegations, which in yeah. civil court were, you know, not proven. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the testimony coming out of it was it was damaging to Rose's yes. reputation. And I think uh, the Me Too movement uh, didn't think kindly of that. And I think that... Uh, also, the idea that Tibbs loved another ex-bull is this whole <laughs> idea of, hey, you know, I thought you were hired to, you know, teach Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins how to flourish, and this was going to be the cornerstones of the team. You already punted Zach Levine. You know, are you just basically trying to retread your old team? And that team, by the way, never made it to an NBA Finals. So, uh, well, wait till wait till Dang and Noah come in here. <laughs> People will really well, it'll go. It'll be crazy. I mean, the idea if you do trade Gorgie Jang, and, and and there's a reason to do that because you do want to free up salary, and uh, what you'd be doing is probably getting a player back who has a terrible salary for one year instead of three or four years, like Gorgie does. So you're saving salary down the down the road to get somebody. Um, but I, I do think that, that if you're conceding that Jang was a mistake, uh, Jang was a mistake, and then if you, if you bring in some other folks, you know, to be honest with you, Noah and, and Lowell Deng are probably going to be bargain basement guys. I personally think that it would be a tough narrative to sell here. Yeah. Um, but you don't know. You know, I mean, you don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, this is somebody I snorted at Derrick Rose, and I thought, you know, Derrick Rose, for the veterans minimum he was paid when he was here last season, uh, was not a bad value. Uh, where are, uh, what's going to happen with Wiggins? Uh, the, the eternal mystery? Are we going to see the player we saw two years ago? What are we going to see? Uh, well, I mean, the, the question becomes, uh, there's all kinds of, it gets back to, you know, the gnomic, opaque Andrew Wiggins personality, um, you know, nobody has ever figured out how to unlock that guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he obviously plays what he wants to. Uh, it seems to be against Cleveland and Toronto with two te- teams that opponents that have uh, some kind of personal uh, connection with him. Um in answer to your question, I mean, I don't think Jimmy Butler could have made it any clearer in the yes. last, you know, uh, six months or so how he felt about Wiggins. He's praised Wiggins' potential and, and ripped his uh, follow-through uh, in four or five different ways, some subtly, some not so subtly. Um, you know, nobody knows. This is, I mean, if you believe that Andrew Wiggins uh, has the pride of uh, earning his keep, this will be the first year of his uh, five-year, $146 million deal. Um, so this is the year that he is a 27 or $25 million player. And uh, I would suspect that uh, if he has the kind of season he's had last year, that uh, 
you know, he, he's not going to be looked upon kindly by the folks at Target Center. On the other hand, everybody knows who watches him. He's got a tantalizing ceiling. It's uh, now, you know, we're heading into year five, year six. Uh, you know, that, that tantalization has uh, really gotten old. <laughs> well, uh, if somebody gets Miguel Sano straightened out, we will just move him over across the uh, <laughs> little plaza there to see if he can straighten out Wiggins. So. Yeah, yeah, send him down to uh, Fort Myers and uh, get, put him on the conditioning drill and feed him, actually feed him Wiggins in case. He'd probably need to feed him stuff that bulks him up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it works for Sano, why not? All right. Hey, uh, thanks for your time, Brett. My pleasure. All right. Britt Robson uh, covers the Timberwolves, uh, analyzes the Timberwolves for uh, the athletic draft night tomorrow. I got a hunch when it's over. Timberwolf fans are going to be complaining one way or another. I uh, I really uh, do think Because they moved the pick, you think? Because they moved the pick, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I just... Outside of getting LeBron, Timberwolves fans are going to be oh, mad no true. matter what. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Yes. Yes. And I, I just have a hunch he's not coming here, even though, even though Mackey was upset a couple of weeks ago that we weren't on Stephen A. Smith's make believe list of possible locations <laughs> that LeBron would be interested in. So that was great. We'll be back. And now, Joe and Pat present Sports Talk's Person of the Day. Peter is one of the true greats of the game and an outstanding ambassador for golf. And it's remarkable to consider the level of dominance he achieved in the Open in the 1950s and early 1960s. From 1952 to 1958, he did not finish outside of the top two in golf's oldest championship. You only have to listen to Peter and see the glint in his eyes. He shares his experiences of playing at the very highest level to realize that he is a truly special person. Peter Thompson was the Arnold Palmer of Australia. He was uh, a uh, phenomenal golfer and was known on the international scene, of course, in the 1950s because he won five British Opens, including three in a row, 54, 55, 56, 58, and then later in 65. But the British Open in 50s it was almost it was rare for an american to go over there and play arnie arnie kind of started going over there and playing and that got the u.s guys because uh, arnie started the concept of majors he, he and mark mccormick who was the img guy who started that empire started the idea that there were four majors uh and uh, of course the pga championship the u.s open the uh, masters and uh and the british open and then u.s guys started going over there but uh peter thompson uh fantastic golf he had 82 worldwide victories so uh this guy could play he finished fifth in the masters in 57 tied for fourth in the uh, u.s open in 56 uh, never played in the PGA Championship, of course, because that was uh, pretty much a member thing back then, and he, he wasn't eligible uh, for playing that. But uh, I, I bring up Peter Thompson. Uh, he just died on, on Wednesday in Australia, which was Tuesday here. Uh, and he died. He was 88, and he also uh, was had Parkinson for years. But the 1983 Senior Open was played at Hazeltine. Uh, incredibly hot 
uh, uh, tournament that year. It was in uh, July. Is this the one with the lightning storm? No, that was 91. Okay. Uh, We did have a death, though. This time it was so hot that this senior open, the uh, 1983 senior open, that uh, it was played at uh, July... 22nd through the 25th Oof. and it was incredibly hot it was almost 100 degrees and uh it was the re it was the reintroduction of hazeltine it was the key event for hazeltine to get back in the good graces of the usga because the 1966 women's u.s women's open was played there uh and then the 1970 U.S. Open was played there. It was a young golf course. It was uh, screwed up in a lot of ways, and that's where Dave Hill said they ruined a good cornfield by putting 18 holes in it. <laughs> and uh, and that was Dave Hill finished second. Tony Jacklin won it by seven, but the Hazeltine was just ridiculed as this, you know, what Shinnecock faced for Saturday was Hazeltine the whole time because it just, you know, there was very few trees out there then. Sure. It was just a, and there was very little out there on the Chaska Prairie then. It was, uh, it just was out there in the middle of nowhere and uh, it it got a lot of abuse. And uh, P.J. Boatwright was the guy who set up tournaments for uh, the the USGA and he, he basically came back to Hazeltine and said, unless you change this golf course, there were too many blind shots. There were too many dog legs that were stupid. And uh, unless you change this golf course, we're not coming back here with the U.S. Open. You'll never get another one. And they made a lot of changes, tremendous number of changes. In fact, that 16th hole that you know, down along the lake there that became the famous hole, par four, short par four, was actually a green for a par three. So they changed a lot of stuff on that golf course. And they ate, and they debuted the new senior open. They, they debuted the new layout of Hazeltine with the 1983 senior open. And the uh, USGA was satisfied with it and ended up giving us the 1991 U.S. Open. So that's how Hazelton got back in the good graces. Uh, Peter Thompson finished fifth in that uh, senior open. Billy Casper won it. Uh, Peter Thompson finished fifth. I had a chance to, by the way, it was so hot, and the USGA still had the rule that the seniors couldn't ride. Oh. They, they made them walk in the mm. senior open, even though they weren't riding. Oof. And there was a guy that died on the, that had a heart attack on the first hole out there in the heat. Wow. And, a uh, player? Yes. Holy cow. Yeah, he had a heart attack and he died. Uh, I think I think he was still alive when he left the course, but he, he died later that day. And the USGA wasn't real happy with uh, the uh, chubby sports columnist from the Pioneer <laughs> Press because I basically accused him of killing the guy by not letting him ride. They didn't take that too well. But Peter Thompson. My old times have changed. I ended up talking to Peter Thompson, and here's a great, he was a great guy. Like all, every Aussie you've ever met, he's a fantastic guy. But he was telling me how, I remember, I'd, I'd love to find this column, but it's in my St. Paul archives. But I remember him telling me, yeah, I invest in movies down there in hmm. uh, Australia. I've invested in some movies. And uh, he said, they came to me a few years ago with this, ridiculous movie about uh, Armageddon, that what the world would be like after Armageddon, you know, when nothing nothing was left. Virtually everybody in the world was uh, 
was dead and <laughs> and people trying to survive. And he said, I said, this is the most ridiculous trash I've ever seen. And I didn't invest in it. And it turned out to be Mad Max. He, oh. said, <laughs> he turned out to be Mad Max. So he said, I didn't make any money. I, I uh, on that, he said that would have been his one gold mine uh, that he would have gotten in. Oh. A, a really good guy. Uh, he made for Billy Casper made one, beat a beat Rod Funseth in a playoff made thirty thousand and uh, finishing fifth at the Senior Open coming up here from Australia Peter Thompson made six thousand for that so wow. the uh, purses have changed a little but uh, Peter Thompson uh, died uh, yesterday and uh, he was a great character man he was a, he was a lot of fun and. Uh, and like all Aussies, uh, and a very good, you know, five British Opens. Uh, so pretty phenomenal player. We'll be back. All right. I mentioned uh, Esky's uh, dinner, uh, Thursday, June 21, 530 to 7 p.m. It's the day four of the Twins 2018 Hope Week. And he will uh, have be having dinner and bring some teammates with him. Dinner with Esky, they're calling it. Hmm. Uh, local Spanish-speaking youth. And it certainly will be at Fogo de Chao, uh, which he has made even more famous than ever by drinking out of the water <laughs> water jug that says Fogo Power on it and uh, plugging, uh, plugging the restaurant uh, for its big meat experience uh, <laughs> to uh, explain his power. So uh, that, that was the uh, Esky event I was talking about. What do you got, John? Uh, this update, Patrick, sponsored by Liberty Mutual Insurance. You have enough things to worry about every day. Insurance shouldn't be one of them. You can leave worry behind when Liberty stands with you. Liberty Mutual Insurance. Twins Red Sox again tonight at Target Field after the Twins took the series opener last night. Tonight, righty Lance Lynn goes for the Twins. He's going for his fifth win on the season. Lefty David Price pitches for Boston. Your Twins lineup, Robbie Grossman, Rosario, Escobar, Dozier, Morrison, Abrianza, Kepler, Garver, and Ryan Lamar. We don't have that speed at the top of the lineup there, Johnny. Robbie's not, uh, he's not And then uh, Joe's uh, not, uh, not real lightning fast either. Joe playing? Joe's not playing. Joe's not playing. Yeah, he's in the lineup. What the hell's wrong with Because our guy Lomo, Lomo's in the lineup. Lomo's playing first. Lomo's been a little better lately. He's fighting to get over 200, right? Dang near. By the way, speaking of Robbie being slow, how about that throw? How do you not, that was a fantastic throw, but how do you not score? But you're... Are you really that slow? Yeah, I guess so. Are your feet was glued best, to the ground? Was that the best he had? I That's God, I hope not. One of the great not. throws I've ever seen. Uh, it was, it, it was, was incredible. Uh, yeah, uh, Jackie Bradley throws out Grossman after Dick conceded the run. <laughs> Dick had already conceded the run. Did he jinx it? Maybe. Yeah, he did. He, that was a call, and it didn't work out. Johnny, I don't know if you have the scoreboard for today in Major League Baseball. I do, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll let you go. Okay. Uh, Indians beat the White Sox behind Corey Kluber, who got his eleventh win. He now leads the majors and wins. Uh, Kluber went seven, gave up one hit, no <laughs> runs. John Lester, he pitched well, also scored, uh, went seven scoreless, and the Cubs shut out the Dodgers four to nothing. White Sox are having a bad year, Johnny. Yes. yes Cubs won today. Cubs beat the, beat the Dodgers. Yep. Who pitched it? Lester, Lester threw a gem. Boy, yep. he's been great lately. Nine and two now in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, also from the Twins division, Detroit loses to Cincinnati five Ooh, to three. Guardy loses. Guardy <laughs> loses two to them. Yeah. Cincinnati, just like the Twins lost, what, two out of three? Yes, right? they did. Did you see Votto chasing the bird away last night right before he hit no. a grand slam? No. Oh, that was a blackbird or something between the pitcher's mound and 
Home plate, Votto walks out, and he's kind of kind of kicking his bat out. So the Blackbird has eliminated the Rally Goose. Is exactly. that what you're telling well, me? Well, funny you should mention that. The next pitch, he hits a grand slam. Yeah. As he crosses home plate, he flaps his arm. <laughs> 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 like it's a bird, so. All right. Toronto beat Atlanta 5-4 to four today. Philly beat St. Louis 4-3. to three. You know what, Chris? I didn't bring the partials in. There's a bunch of partials. Uh, the uh, A's are edging San Diego right now. Patrick, 10-1. to one. Our guy Phil Hughes was in that ball oh, game. It was Addy pitch much yet? Uh, I don't know how many uh, appearances he's made. Was I'm sorry. It good today? It's now twelve to one. Uh, uh-huh. Phil Hughes threw two innings. He's out of the game. Six hits, three earned runs, and he gave up a home run that might have left the state of California. Off, uh, who hit it? I you know? don't remember. Okay. I could find that for you, but well, uh, you know what the heck? You know who uh, who's a really good pitcher for San Diego because every time I watch them, he pitches Brad Hand. Yes. yes, man, yes. He's, uh, yeah. he's tough on lefties. They want a whole bunch if somebody wants to take him off their hands. Yeah. Uh, NHL teams releasing schedules. How about the local squad get him? We'll give you <laughs> Zach what? Duke. For what purpose? <laughs> would you let him pitch to a righty? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, NHL teams releasing schedules tomorrow, but today we found out the Wild will open uh, their season October 4th on the road in Colorado. Their home opener two days later, Saturday, October 6th. Against the I got Vegas a promotional Golden idea Rocks. for that game. Yeah. I think the Wild should honor Alex Tuck and Eric Halla before that game for their uh, great season that they had in Las Vegas. That's not a bad know? idea. Yeah, bring them out. How about a double a, bobblehead? Uh, yeah, have them wave to the crowd. Holding the, uh, what's the trophy for the Western the Conference? To one last uh, kick in the ass for uh, Chuck Fletcher. <laughs> well, they were robbed from us. It's not like we gave them away. Well, you, you worked hard to get rid of both of them. Vikings signing uh, linebacker Mike Needham today, waving uh, the already injured Hercules Mata'afa after the defensive end tore his ACL during the offseason. You just program. made up both those what legs. A great no, leg. yeah, what a great leg. You rip, your, you rip your knee up, playing, get out of here. Yep, We're not paying you nothing. <laughs> but how about that name, Patrick? Hercules yes. Mata'afa. Yeah. Same to you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Needham, six foot three, two hundred twenty-four pounds. He was at the Cardinals rookie mini camp after going undrafted. Had a good year at Southern Utah last year. A hundred tackles. He ain't making a club, Johnny. Seven pass breakups for Southern Utah. Yeah, we're we're loaded. He ain't making a club. Trayson Potts, a running back from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, says uh, he's committing to the Gophers. The 5'10", 182-pounder is a three-star prospect, the number 13th-ranked all-purpose back nationally in the class of 2019 by the 247sports.com composite In other ratings. words, Penn State didn't want him. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, probably. All right. He didn't play his junior season. He had a torn anterior cruciate knee ligament, but this year, uh, recruiters, uh, he caught their attention. He rushed for over 2,000 yards. And had 37 touchdowns mm-hmm. as a sophomores for the millionaires. I don't know if you guys saw this. Roll the dinghy. We have uh, breaking news in the oh, what, NBA. What do you got? What? what? Uh, it, it was just reported that uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says marijuana will be legal nationwide on October 17th. <laughs> Not Sports Center retweeted that saying, breaking. The entire NBA has demanded a trade to the Raptors. <laughs> That's right. That is true. Yeah, one last thing I want to mention here on the sports update. Uh, Lindsey Whalen played six minutes Uh-oh, last night. Six. The untold story of what's going on with the Lynx. Uh, that has not been seized as a topic by the local media, but uh, it might have to be addressed here eventually. Because right? I'm going to guess a columnist in the at the West Side well, Papers. Yeah, that would that would have caused him to actually go to a game, though. So I, I don't know. It's kind of a it's a it's a struggle right now. So. Anyway, thanks, Johnny. You bet.
Abraham covers the uh, Red Sox for the Boston Globe. Uh, the Red Sox, of course, are in town. Uh, how did Eddie Escobar hit that pitch for a two-run double? Explain that to us, will you? Well, you know, Sale was pitching a good game, and uh, the bullpen blew it. I mean, they, the Red Sox have had a lot of issues with Chris Sale when he starts, not because of how he pitched, but <laughs> because of run support. And they're only 8-8 eight and eight in the starts. And his ERA is under three, so it's, uh, it's been kind of strange for a sale this year. To uh, to say the least. Hey, I got a question to ask you. Hanley Ramirez, of course, very controversially uh, let go uh, last month, still hasn't signed. Is that because of the at-bats thing, that that would then kick in and the, the club that claimed him would have to uh, pick up that contract for next year? Or does anyone know why he hasn't signed yet? No, once they um, once the Red Sox released them, that that went away. Oh, okay. So anybody who, yeah, anybody who would pick him up now would only be responsible for the prorated major league okay. minimum, and the Red Sox pay off the rest of his contract only for this year. So the option for next year is gone, and that kind of leads me to believe you know the Red Sox aren't alone here, thinking that that this guy's not going to be much help because it's it's going on well, it's over three weeks now, and nobody's uh, nobody's gone after him. Yeah, and uh, the, the perception was, wow, there'll be three, four, five contenders out uh, pursuing him. But uh, I, I think uh, we we all know that at this time of year, everybody's looking for pitching, not hitting. <laughs> anyway, it's always uh, yeah. In June and July, it always ends up uh, being adding pitching. Yeah, and, and the other thing was, you know, here we had a very good April and a very bad May. He was when they released him, he was old for his last twenty-one. And and it wasn't by coincidence, you know. It wasn't like he had a lot of balls that he was hitting hard, and, and they were getting caught. So it's, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's interesting because he he certainly didn't feel like he was done at the beginning of the year, and and right now he's back in the Dominican Republic, and and nobody seems to want him. Hey, uh, Pete, uh, more at bats for Moreland. Who else is uh, getting a little more opportunity without Hanley around? It's it's been mostly Moreland uh, for a while. It was Blake Swihart who they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Yeah. With. He, and it wasn't necessarily in place of Hanley, but it was a little bit more first base. They put him in the outfield a few times. They de-aged him a few times. Uh, he didn't really start hitting at all, so that, that's kind of gone away a little bit in the last week. But it's been Moreland. They, they've had a lot of confidence in Moreland. I don't know that he's an everyday you know, 600 plate appearance kind of player. He never really has been in his career. But he's been pretty good against right-handers. He's good when you spot him in the right positions. But I think the Red Sox... Um, do need to figure out something in terms of um, a right-handed hitting first baseman, somebody they can complement with, you know, with Moreland. But they haven't made that a priority. I, I think, like you just said, everybody's looking for pitching, and, and the Red Sox are among them. Uh, a couple of things: uh, the Twins uh, could really use an everyday catcher, but Swihart is he at the point he's a failed prospect here? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, he, he's still pretty young, but he's out of options. So any team that would take him. You know, that there's that part of it. And the other thing is, like, I don't know that everybody's convinced he's a catcher. He's a pretty good athlete. He's played the outfield. He's played first base. He's even played second base. I don't know that he's an everyday catcher. We haven't really seen it yet. And, and he was still new to catching when they drafted him. That was something that he took up only in the senior year of high school. So it's interesting to figure out. I think he's a major league player, but I just don't know where he's a major league player. And it would take a team. Like, I don't know if that would make sense for the Twins because – I'm sure the Twins feel like they're in contention. I think it would take a team that was rebuilding to commit to Swihart and kind of live with his development as a catcher this year and hope that it leads to something down the road. 
And at what point uh, now the uh, the Twins, of course, have had two of the biggest failures in prospect history here, uh, Buxton and uh, Snow at this point. Uh, Buxton somewhat traced injuries, although he was awful uh, before uh, before he had his headache and then foul ball off his toe and all that. But when are the Red Sox going to start getting nervous about Jackie Bradley here? Well, I think that that, that time has come for sure. And one eighty eight. Uh, Oof. Yeah, and you know, he, yesterday he makes a, a big error in the outfield that that hurt them and, and cost them in the ninth, in the ninety eighth inning. So there's a lot of things going on with him right now. Alex Cora has been a, a big supporter of his. For, which is interesting because Cora wasn't in the organization, obviously, when they drafted him. So it's um, right now the manager's got his back. I think the Sox feel like he's been a streaky player, and you know now it's due for him to kind of get hot because he's been cold. And the other thing that's been kind of interesting with Jackie is his, his batting average has been terrible, but when you look at his at-bats the last two, three weeks, they've actually been pretty good. He's had a lot of line-outs. He's hit the ball hard. He's cut down on the strikeouts. He just hasn't got much for it. That was an awful at bat against Brios, though, and that runner was at third base, and he struck out on a pitch high and away there. That I suppose oh, he's yeah. done that a few times when he was uh, yeah. when he was yeah. struggling. But I saw that and I said, "Oofta, that's not good." But uh, this is uh, you're going to have to win 110 to win that division, the uh, Red Sox or the Yankees, whichever team, don't you think? Well, you know, I wrote about that the other day. You have to feel like Baltimore is going to start trading all of their players. Yes, and Toronto's probably not too far behind. Tampa Bay's already started rebuilding, and you know they don't even have a rotation. They're using guys for you know one or two yeah. innings to start games. And when you look at it, the, the Yankees are on pace to win, I think, 111, and the Red Sox 110. Now I don't know if they're going to get to that point, but I, I bet you it's going to take 105 anyway to, to win that division, which seems crazy. The Red Sox have only won 100 games once in their history, but it, right now that's the way it looks. Yeah, as good as the Red Sox are, man, that Yankee uh, lineup. If Gary Sanchez ever comes out of his uh, coma, that uh, that that Yankee team is that that team is if they get the starting pitching, that team's one of the best they've they've had in, since the oh, dynasty. Yeah. There, got guys at AAA just waiting yeah. to play would probably be everyday players on most teams. Does uh, the 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 Red Sox? Uh, they got anybody in waiting here? That there's Triple A that's going to come up and uh, you know maybe uh, be a right-handed hitter for? They do not. Okay. <laughs> the farm system is is very the, the upper levels of the farm system anyway are very shallow, um, particularly with offense. They they had a first baseman, a kid who played in Indiana named Sam Travis. Yes. So they liked when they drafted him, and they liked him in spring training a couple of years. But he's he's been a guy who's. Who's hit like crazy in spring training, but is not hitting the regular season? They called him up, gave him ten at bats, sent him back. Um, no, they don't. If they were going to do anything to help the offense, I think it's going to come from outside. Uh, so David Price uh, stirred everybody up with his. Uh, I don't know even where the quote came from. That it feels like October with his arm. That's uh, he can uh, he can keep you guys on your toes with some of his uh, behaviors and comments, can he? Yeah, he does. And but the thing is, he's you know the last uh, seven games he's pitched very well. He's, he's arguably been as good as Phil. And he had an injury issue in the beginning of the year. They, they were worried about it. They pushed him back a couple days on a start. It turned out to be something minor. Um, but he's he's been pretty good, you know, in the last month and a half or so. And kind of what they expected, what they paid for. And now tonight is a, a kind of a big game because you lose the first game of the series. You, you have a chance to end the road trip. Uh, you know, doing pretty well. They're now a game behind the Yankees. 
so tonight kind of looms like a like a pretty big game for the Sox with Price. Is he? I mean, he's, he can still uh, muscle it up once in a while, but is he making the transition? I guess he has been making it for two, three years. A lot more breaking balls and uh, and uh, yeah, cutters and changeups and, and two seam fastballs. The other day in the, his last start, he was ninety five, ninety six with a couple of pitches. So when he when he needs to, he can still, like you said, you know, come back and get that, but. He's. Um, I think the transition. You know, you, you see it happen with so many pitchers. You know, they they get to in their early thirties and they need to start figuring out different ways to get guys out. I, I think he's doing that, and for him, it's really a matter of staying healthy. When he's been healthy, he's been pretty good for the Red Sox. I find it kind of humorous when I uh, see John Farrell on television as a commentator because nobody was more devoted to saying nothing than John Farrell. How's uh, <laughs> how's that kind? How's he a contrast to uh, Alex Cora? How's Cora well, contrasting um, I, I him? Tell, I always tell people I have a lot more time on my hands because Cora is a very easy guy to transcribe because he, he tells you what he thinks right away. He doesn't talk around it and <laughs> uh, try to come up with a hundred different ways to say the same thing. Something John Farrell was, was famous for. Cora just kind of tells you what he thinks, and you know you move on to the next thing, which is kind of refreshing. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that guys who weren't necessarily media friendly end up in the media. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Yeah, I think the uh, the greatest was uh, uh, what was the, the one the sharp uh, Sterling Sharp was in the media for a while. And oh, he, yeah, was, he wouldn't even talk to the. He reporters. was the biggest jackass of all time, and all of a yeah. sudden he can't shut him up. Randy Moss yeah. too to be uh, to bring that up, but it is interesting. So uh, the uh, Red Sox uh, fans have to be uh, very uh, pleased with uh, this product, though. After uh, uh, some disappointment last season when the team couldn't score any runs. Yeah, they're, they're a much more interesting team with J.D. Martinez. Obviously, they, they were last in the league in home runs last year, and now I think they're second. Um, it's, it's certainly having a guy like that who can hit one out anytime changes a lot of things. I think it's, it's cut down on the pressure on some other guys, and you're seeing whether it's uh, Devers or Bogarts, uh, Moreland, Betts, uh, Benintendi, all of those guys are, are hitting for more power than they were last year. I think because they feel like they don't need to, which, you know, oddly enough, that's how it helps them be better at it. So, it's a, it's a much more, I think, fun team to watch offensively, but they're still very good pitching. Their, their depth in the rotation is pretty pretty solid. Uh, they uh, they still going to have to pay Mookie and Bogarts, or those uh, they got deals with those guys yet? Well, that's you know kind of what, what led to Hanley being released was they didn't want to pay that twenty two million next year because you know whether it's Betts or Bogarts or you know some of the you know Kimbrel's going to be up next year. They're going to want to extend sale at some point. They have a lot of guys they need to sign if, if they want to keep this team together. And they don't have a lot of prospects coming to replace them. So I, I think that gives the players an advantage. And, yeah, for sure, I mean, Betts is, I think, the priority. This is yeah. a guy who's, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the face of the franchise kind of player. They need to keep him around. I'm trying to figure out what's the deal with short hitters, man. <laughs> short guys, Mookie, Escobar, Altuve. The fourth draft choice in the recent draft is a kid from Oregon State who's five seven. Suddenly, we want short guys. Yeah, Benintendi, the same thing. He's <laughs> a little guy, and it's uh, you know, I don't know what it is because the way the game has changed with the high velocity, yeah. and everybody's taking these uppercut swings. Um, you think it would be different, but maybe the, these smaller guys who make contact and can do different things have a lot of value. That you know, in, instead of the the guy who's hitting two twenty and hitting thirty five home runs. Hey, Mookie is probably one of the uh, the popular guys that uh, you've had in Boston for a while. I happened to run into him in the 
grocery store a couple of times in Fort Myers, and he can't go to the grocery store if he sees Red Sox fans. And then this year it'd be even crazier, I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. He's you know it didn't take very long, and it, it kind of happened at the right time because with David Ortiz retiring and Dustin Pedroia, you know, he's on a disabled list, and who knows when he's coming back. They've kind of lost the guys that that everybody related to from the fan base, and. And now it's really it's Mookie and it's JD Martinez, it's Chris Sale. Those are the guys who have become the you know the the people that the, the fans look to. And it's it's interesting because Ortiz was that guy for so long, and, and the Red Sox were essentially David Ortiz and the Boston Red Sox. And and now it's become a I think a team with not necessarily one guy, but but several guys. And it's a, it's a different vibe around this team because everything used to revolve around Ortiz, and and now it's kind of more balanced out. Hey, uh, now that he's RT, uh, that he's retired, David has put on the freshman twenty-five. Hasn't he? Looking, looking pretty big when I saw him in the stands the other day. Yeah, he's he's in. Um, <laughs> you know, he moved out of Boston. He's living in Florida now, and uh, we the only time we see him, he hasn't really been at Fenway Park very often. It's, it's only maybe a few times since he retired. So I give him credit because a lot of guys when they announce their retirement. You know, you hear, you start hearing rumors that they're going to come back, and if he has a good year, you know, things will change. And David had a good year on his way out, and he never looked back. He's never, there's never been any hint that he wanted to come back or anything like that. So I guess he, he's comfortable doing what he's doing. Hey, uh, Pete, thanks for your time. See you at the yard tonight, sir. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Patrick. All right, Pete Abraham uh, covers the Red Sox for the Boston Globe. We shall. Re- At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. 